So there's about 200 million users that uh, are onboarded on the UPI system. So the, the, the big announcement that we made in the conference was that uh, Zapit basically integrated with the UPI system and uh, any user can now use Bitcoin Cash to make payments at all of these millions of merchant stores. One of the biggest challenges to the adoption of cryptocurrencies as, you know, actual currencies is that there's still kind of not that many places you can spend them for your day-to-day -day expenses. So in this part of the adoption phase, it's critical to have some kind of services that sort of help us bootstrap the actual usage of cryptocurrencies by acting as a go-between. And that's one of the reasons I absolutely had to talk with Romit Goswami of Zapit, whose company enables people to basically spend cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin Cash, almost everywhere in India, which really solves a lot of problems for not just allowing people to live on cryptocurrency in the country, but also to enable easy remittances from people outside the country. So here's what he had to say. So, hey everyone, I have the fantastic pleasure today of speaking with the one and only Romit Goswami, uh, founder and CEO of Zapit. How's it going, man? It's going great, thanks for having me. Yeah, so you were recommended by a, a mutual friend on Twitter of all places. Of course, you know, Twitter's become quite the place for just about everything these days. Uh, it's so, do you want to really quick introduce yourself and what you do? Yeah, sure. So yeah, as you introduced, my name is Romit. Uh, I'm from India. Uh, I'm the founder of Zapit.io. Uh, it's a non-custodial Bitcoin cash wallet. Um, our primary focus was to, you know, enable peer-to-peer uh, -peer payments uh, within the Indian market. Although, you know, as it's a non-custodial wallet, we are available for the global audience. Our primary focus was to build features and services for the Indian market. Um, this came about, you know, from the need of, uh, in India, there was basically a, a huge ban that was introduced by the central bank so that no cryptocurrency businesses could um, offer or, or actually get bank accounts. So yeah, most of the bank accounts uh, at that point shut down and it was very hard for, for me to uh, you know, engage with Bitcoin Cash or any other cryptocurrencies for that matter. It was actually quite difficult. There were centralized peer-to-peer -peer exchanges uh, where you, could, you had to buy USDT first and then maybe swap to BTC and then from BTC to BCH or any other cryptocurrencies. It was a, you know, it was a real hassle to actually yeah, because I would try to use Bitcoin Cash for payments uh, in my life as many places as possible. Um, so this was a, a huge hassle for me. So the initial plan was to actually build a payments app, which had like a peer-to-peer -peer exchange built into the app. Um, but you know, we wanted to build it such that there is no KYC involved. Um, so the point was to use Bitcoin Cash smart contracts to enable, you know, like a uh, smart contract based escrow system mm -hmm. and uh, just, you know, have people trade uh, in that peer to peer exchange. So we managed to do that. I don't know if you have heard of uh, local.bitcoin.com or localcryptos.com. Yes, uh, they have a similar escrow system as well. Yeah, so we basically managed to launch a similar platform uh, along with the wallet. So that is how it started off with, and uh, it has expanded from there on. Maybe we'll, we'll get into that uh, more later. But 
yeah so that's that's just a brief about yeah could you go a little bit more into the um the legal situation around cryptocurrencies in india what kind of restrictions are in place yeah so after the ban was introduced i think it lasted for about uh, a year or so mm -hmm. um and then you know there was a challenge in the supreme court where it was struck down the supreme court you know basically said the central bank that you have no authority to actually introduce a ban and mm -hmm. it was struck down uh, if any kind of a ban has to take place, it has to come from the government, not from the central bank. Because we all yeah. know that the central banks and governments are two separate entities. Mm -hmm. And like, some people believe that, you know, <laughs> central banks are part of the government. They are not. Yeah. Um, so later on, I think the government kind of, you know, worked with uh, other exchanges, like larger exchanges that existed in the market. Um, well, the exchanges tried to lobby <laughs> certain regulations in to prevent smaller players to come into the you know, market space. Of course, the, fee, the no, FTX playbook, is, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's what they wanted to try and introduce. But actually, the government got an upper hand and they actually understood what kind of regu regulations to bring in. And uh, the only thing that they introduced was uh, two taxes, basically. One was a tax on your profits, which means if you bought any crypto, you made a profit on it. When you sold, your cryptocurrencies, you had to pay 30% on, on your profits. So that was a huge thing that they introduced. But I think a bigger killer in, in, in the space was introducing a 1% uh, TDS, which is tax deducted at source or something like that. So yeah. what happened is every time you made a trade, doesn't matter, you have to pay 1%. So usually the exchanges would charge you 0.1 or 0.15 or even 0.2%. But the government said, oh, you have to charge 1% extra and then give that to us. So basically all the exchanges in India now charge 1.1 or 1.2% out of which the 1% goes to the government. Uh, yeah. That killed a lot of trading uh, of cryptocurrencies in India. Like the volumes dropped uh, you know, tremendously. Uh, and then the, the exchanges, the, the very exchanges that lobbied for regulations, they started, you know, panicking. They're like, oh, no, this is not the right way to do it. And, and you know, yeah, they did all that kinds of stuff. But I don't know. I mean, you know, we had to find uh, innovative ways to actually get around um, these these regulations. Um, but, yeah, it, it's really bad in terms of if, if you want to build something that has any kind of crypto transactions, uh, that's associated with the Indian rupee, then yeah, you will have to charge 1% for every transaction. So there's no way you can do micro, micro, what do you call it, like micro fees. Like you cannot charge less than 1%. That's just not possible in India anymore. Yeah, and so uh, does this, this does not impact the use of payments, correct? So you can pay a merchant or something like that, and as long as they don't have to, um, exchange at the back end into rupees, for example, then there's no no real restrictions, right? Yes, that's right. Uh, crypto to crypto transactions itself is not in any way uh, affected. Like peer to peer transactions are not affected. The, the, the problem is only when there is a conversion. Uh, now they have said that crypto to crypto uh, exchanges are also supposed to be, you know, taxed at 1%. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure how they're going to regulate that. Like, especially if it's like a non-custodial platform, 
uh, where the swap is happening within the wallet or you know using a decentralized exchange for example there's no way they're uh, they're going to be able to regulate that but I, I think it mostly applies to custodial platforms like like trading platforms mm. so uh, there's pretty much nothing barring a, a small vendor from deciding they want to accept payments in cryptocurrency right not not really no uh, there, there, there isn't any law that says you know crypto payments itself are not allowed although a lot of politicians have verbally said that they're not going to allow crypto payments there's nothing written in law as of now yet because they, yeah. they can't really stop it they can't enforce the law that they write like how are you gonna, how are you gonna of course you know, take down someone who by themselves you know just start accepting cryptocurrencies for payments that's not really going to work out yeah and i can imagine because of the uh the previous ban, yeah, it probably made a lot of people not want to be afraid to sort of experiment with cryptocurrencies, taking them for payments and things like that. So I can imagine the the actual scene of people using them for payments on a, a small scale is probably pretty small and new at this point. Is that right? Yes. Um, also, I, I think one thing that people don't realize that uh, India actually has a very, you know, highly sophisticated financial system in, in terms of payments. Mm -hmm. It's really amazing what we have now because we do have instant, you know, instant settlements in payments. We have you know, no fees. Um, so th there was this thing introduced uh, around six years back called the UPI payments. Uh, it was introduced by a corporation. They offered it as a solution for, for you know, like a payments interface to, to the government. They said that, hey, you know, we have built a highly scalable solution for payments that can be used by all the banks, all the payment apps, all the payment wallets, uh, non-crypto non wallets, that is. Um, and yeah, it's all interoperable. Like, not sure if you know much about the Chinese apps like, you know, WeChat Pay and Alipay. Mm -hmm. uh, they are single use app, which means if you have WeChat, I can pay you with WeChat only. Uh, for example, if I have Alipay, I cannot you being you being a wechat user that was kind of solved within india which is uh, in india we have you know apps called google pay there's amazon pay there's phone pay there's paytm uh, each individual could have a different app but we could still make payments to each other using this upi system and uh, yeah it it caught on really well within the indian um, ecosystem because it, it it was just amazing because before that India was a highly cash-based system. There mm -hmm. was this event that took place called uh, demonetization, where the government basically withdrew or, or banned the higher notes, like the mm -hmm. 500 rupee and yeah, 1,000 rupee notes. Yeah, so that basically pushed India in completely into digital payments. Everyone started using digital payments after that because, yeah, it, it just it was just way more convenient to do so. And UPI was right there at the forefront to take over. You know, the payment interface was introduced within all the banks and all the payment apps, and everybody just started to use it. And yeah, you can basically make a payment, and it's instantly available. You know, to the merchant or to another user, um, they don't have to wait. You know, one or two days for the funds to arrive in in their bank account. There's no fees. Like there is zero fees to to make these payments, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really hard to sell a cryptocurrency as a payment method option while 
Indians are already using, um, you know, a really good payment system. The only other argument that we could have is that, hey, you know, you, you have a self-sovereign money, like you have a non-custodial um, wallet that where you can hold your own funds, unlike handing all your funds to the bank accounts. Um, but people don't really care about that mm. until unless, you know, they end up losing money. They don't tend to care about that too much. So what is inflation like? Well, considering the inflation that's taking place in you know, uh, in the U.S. or the mm. Europe, it's it's quite good here. It's it's maybe under seven percent now, mm-hmm. so it's not too much. Yeah, it's relatively stable, right? Uh, compared to any other country out there, it's it's quite stable, and uh, the the economic situation in India is actually doing quite well. Yeah. So, what is also the the I guess the scene of the censorship scene, because uh, in the, obviously one of the, the key tenets of cryptocurrency is censorship resistance. And for the largely people don't really experience that or they haven't in the past. And then now, for example, in the Western world, you're starting to see more examples of that where people are being censored for speech or for whatever else. And it's, it's starting to the, I've noticed a night and day difference since because I've been using cryptocurrency since 2013 and I noticed in 20 uh, 2019 to 2020 and beyond started to be a huge difference in the kinds of people who were interested and why they were interested and um so is there a situation in India like how are there any cases where you where you know of where people who were not you know abject criminals, right, would be losing access to their funds or have rest- or have restricted access to making payments or anything? Uh, so with respect to just being censored for payments, I don't think there are many examples. It would only be in the most extreme cases, like, you know, if, if you were caught in a terrorist act or, or something like that, then yes, your bank account might be freezed. Or if you were involved in a scam, where you're you know, stealing people's money, you're running a Ponzi scheme, these kind of things, yes, you will lose access to your bank account or your funds will get stolen or seized. But with respect to speech, like I, I don't think if you say something wrong about the government, uh, they don't tend to you know, uh, freeze your funds for those kind of things. So it's not yet. I mean, I would say that the word is not yet. It's mm. not yet got to that stage. Of course. It's, it's only, you know, well, they, they, they are introducing the CBDCs here pretty quick. They're mm-hmm. already launching the pilot program, which is surprising because we thought that they would be waiting for the Western countries to introduce them first. Uh, seems like India is pushing forward, like they're going ahead with it. Um, not sure as to how much that would cause an issue because it, it just gets more easier to, to have censorship with, with CBDCs. But they're also not posing it as a replacement. They're saying it's going to exist along with the other payment methods in, mm. in, in India. Of course, that's how it starts with. Of course, you know, the transition. Until everything else is rolled out. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that there's not much instances of censorship that we see right now. Mm. It's so as far as um, onboarding people to the old financial system, or rather the, the modernized old financial system, I should say, yeah. um, is there much friction in getting new people to kind of get into the payment system? So, for example, 
one of the reasons, one of the biggest annoyances about using um, banking services, et cetera, in the Western world is KYC. It's not just mm -hmm. that, it's not that, you know, you prevent people from getting on board. It's just that it's difficult. You have to yeah. wait. There's all that friction. And then in a lot of places in the, in developing countries like in Latin America, for example, there's a lot of lack of inclusion because of lack of proper identification and things like that, that would allow people yeah. to get, get that. So is that a, at all of a problem or a restriction in India? Oh yeah. That is still a huge problem because I think there's about 200 million uh, individuals in India that still don't have access to banking because they lack, you know, basic ID identity based documents. Mm -hmm. They don't have the documents that's required to open a bank account. Um, they have made certain provisions to, you know, use cash in a way where it, they can make payments, but it's not at all as um, easy for someone like us, you know. Mm -hmm. So 200 million is still a large population that's unbanked within India. Although the, uh, the, the percentage is less than 20% at this point, I would say um, in few other countries, percentage wise, they might be higher, but, you know, we are talking about lesser population there, but here the population is higher. So even, you know, 200 million is, is still a large number, but yeah, I think cryptocurrencies can solve at least this problem for, for these, uh, for these people. Uh, and these people do have smartphones, like mm. out of the 200 million, at least 80% of them would have access to smartphones because it's really cheap. They can't afford them. Like we have seen them, like, you know, you go to the village side, they may not have access to any kind of banking, but they have smartphones. They're able to use the internet. Uh, they have access to internet banking technically using their phone, but they can't even open a bank account. So I think, um, you know, with more education, I think those people can be onboarded to cryptocurrencies and um, yeah, get them involved in, in the financial ecosystem. And that's one of the things that we are definitely focusing on. Yeah, so what is the cryptocurrency scene like on the whole uh, in India right now? <laughs> well, there's two ways of looking at it. One is there's definitely the trading aspect, mm -hmm. the exchanges aspect, but people just think that, oh, these are assets that you buy, they, they the price pumps up and then you sell to make some money. There's a bunch of people that think just that. Uh, the other part is we do see a huge builder community growing. People are building stuff on, on mostly the Web3 side, you know, whether it's NFTs or lending protocols or bu building like scalable blockchains or things like that. But that's just the tech part of it, right? People are involved in the tech side of it. Um, yeah, it, it, that's the only two things that we really see. We don't see any, any usage. We don't see any payments or we don't see people actually making use of cryptocurrencies at all. Uh, right now, there's actually... A, thing happening in, in India, it's called the blockchain week. The entire mm -hmm. week right now, uh, there's some or the other blockchain event taking place. I think by Filecoin, which I did attend yesterday uh, for the last two days, mm -hmm. uh, then Polygon is hosting, there's uh, ETH India. So mostly it's, it's for, you know, the, the builders, the developers, yeah. um, startups, like uh, accelerators basically looking to invest in these platforms or builders yeah and so what is the bitcoin cash scene like in india right now <laughs> almost non-existent 
Well, that's yeah. a no, that's kind of a great place to be because there's so much upside for growth, you know. Yeah. Also, I don't think people necessarily need to know about Bitcoin Cash as you know the, from the brand name perspective. Mm-hmm. As long as a solution is offered which does use the blockchain, which makes their life easier with respect to payments and things like that, I think that's a bigger push here. Um, they don't necessarily need to know that they're using the blockchain technology. And um, exchanges don't really do too much of a help either because most of them disable the deposits and withdrawals specifically of Bitcoin Cash in India. Hmm. You see, all the other coins are open for deposits and uh, withdrawal except Bitcoin Cash. Why so is that, do you think? That clearly, there's a push against Bitcoin Cash uh, within the Indian exchanges. Do you know why that would be? Well, you know, we've tried to reach out to them. They always say that, oh, you know, it's un- the wallet is under maintenance, the nodes are down or something like that. But it's always Bitcoin Cash for some reason. <laughs> None of the other coins face the same issue. Sometimes maybe, sometimes maybe they do have actual maintenance of other wallets, gets taken down for maybe a few hours. But the Bitcoin Cash ones are uh, taken down for days. Um, maybe within a month, you may get one or two day window where you can deposit or withdraw Bitcoin Cash. But that's pretty much it. Yeah. So um, this seems to be... There's news recently about the Coinbase wallet removing Bitcoin Cash, which is surprising to me because Coinbase yeah. was always an exchange very much promoting Bitcoin Cash outside of its influence, right? And Bitcoin Cash still has some trading volume on the exchange. It's still done. And then, for example, um, I know some people who use Dash in the Coinbase wallet, and it's still there, but Dash has less trading volume right now than Bitcoin mm-hmm. Cash. It seemed a little strange. I mean, there's a few of those that were... Like, oh, Ethereum Classic and then Stellar Lumens and stuff like that, or Stellar as it's called these days. Oh, I can understand maybe those don't get a lot of wallet traction, but it just seemed a little, a little strange. I mean, I'm not a, a conspiracy person, but sometimes it seems there might be a little little collusion. Yeah, well, I would say I am a conspiracy person, and it's mm-hmm. funny because I think recently the, the, the news was that BlackRock kind of got involved with Coinbase. Not sure if, if that has anything to do with it, but before that, everything seems to have gone well. But um, yeah, certain individuals get involved and now everything starts to change. Yeah. Well, not sure. I don't know what the reality is. Um, yeah. Also, I'm not sure if it has to do with the trading volume or did they say it's the transaction volume? Mm-hmm. The it is a transaction system. wallet. So I don't... Yeah. They said like due to like little use or something like that. So it just seems strange that for example like as far as i know the vast majority of dash dash usage comes through the more Mm -hmm. proprietary dash wallets right and so it does not make sense that dash would have a lot of volume on the coinbase wallet specifically that Mm -hmm. bitcoin cash would not just you know it doesn't seem like that well same with bitcoin cash i don't i don't know anyone that uses the coinbase wallet for bitcoin Mm -hmm. cash or any other coin matter I know people use the Coinbase exchange to buy and sell the cryptos, but not sure anyone uses the Coinbase non-custodial wallet. Yeah, I think the, most of them use the Bitcoin.com wallet. That is kind of funny when you consider the, the whole crypto space. Um, it's definitely not one one space. There's little pockets, and so yeah. sometimes I see like, like who who uses this? Who you know who even touches? And then there's a lot of people over somewhere else that are doing 
a whole lot of that stuff. And so um, there's a lot of areas in, in the, the space where Bitcoin Cash's kind of presence is almost non-existent. But then there's other spots you, you come in, it's like, oh, it's all this. Like certain geographies like, you know, St. Kitts and then Australia and like, you know, the Caribbean area and then certain, you know, payment applications and things like that. There's like a vibrant, heavy mm -hmm. community there. And then it's always interesting to see where Bitcoin, which is, you know, the most well-known cryptocurrency, um, sometimes where people don't even touch it. So like, for example, uh, where I live in New Hampshire, there's, of course, mm -hmm. uh, some usage. But for payments for at like local merchants and stuff, uh, BTC has almost like almost zero, like very close to zero payments. And then most of them are uh, probably Dash, Bitcoin Cash, and Monero. Those are the, the vast majority. Even I would say there's more Zcash being spent places than there is um, Bitcoin. So it's kind of interesting how that, that works out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good to see, you know, in, in places like New Hampshire, people are using cryptocurrencies because we love we would love to see that in India. Mm -hmm. like nobody really wants to use it here. And I think with respect to Bitcoin Cash, it's it's mostly been on the merchant onboarding front, right? Like the 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 focus has been to onboard merchants to start accepting uh, Bitcoin Cash for payments, but nobody's really pushing people to start using Bitcoin Cash for payments. Hmm. Like I see that as two different things: accepting versus actually paying. Yeah, like, yeah we could, we could get as they say, the chicken and then the egg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we could get thousands of merchants to start accepting, but who's really paying with Bitcoin Cash? You know, like what efforts are we really doing uh, in order to use Bitcoin Cash or even Dash for that matter mm -hmm. um, for, for payments? Like very few of us, just the fans of the coin or people who really believe in in, in the ethos of the space. It's, it's just us that are using it. And mm -hmm. I think the efforts have to be put in to get the majority of the people to start using uh, them for payments and the the major hurdle that we do see is is the volatility that's i think the number one issue uh, that we at least come across from you know building a wallet getting feedback from all kinds of users and trying to get people to start using it the main fear is that hey you know yes we we could accept you know the, the payment in cryptocurrency today but what if the drive uh, the price drops by 10 percent mm -hmm. tomorrow or in two days what do we do then so yeah, I mean, this is where I, I'm, I'm quite bullish about uh, NEH, the NEH technology within Bitcoin Cash that allows uh, one to stabilize the price of BCH while holding BCH itself and, and not really going into a centralized stable coin or, or something like that. Uh, I think that's, that's quite a good thing. And we are also looking into some sort of uh, a solution there um but it's still not here and uh, yeah i think it's it's still a long way to go to try and actually build something so that regular people could start using um, cryptocurrencies again the, the key is with something like this we could introduce the dollar value or the rupee value within the wallet and they're transferring just that but technically they're still using the underlying asset they're still using bitcoin cash or any other cryptocurrency that that might allow for something like this yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so you want to really quick go over um, kind of everything that Zapit does. So it's a wallet, right? There's a non-custodial mm -hmm. wallet. And then yeah. what are the other services that are included in there? 
So we started off with the peer-to-peer exchange mm-hmm. uh, with a you know decentralized escrow, you can call it. So yeah, it's a non-KYC based uh, peer-to-peer exchange where you could um, where you could you know buy and sell Bitcoin Cash for any fiat in any country um, for any payment method uh, essentially. So once that was introduced, we realized that you know it's a quite a slow process. <laughs> peer-to-peer mm-hmm. exchanges are also not for everyone. Um, people don't tend to like waiting for a long time because peer-to-peer exchanges is a bit more slower. So we did introduce a centralized on-ramp and off-ramp uh, by partnering with another uh, exchange as well. So yeah, there's a centralized, I would say, um, on- on-ramp and off-ramp service that we offer too. Uh, that requires KYC, but again, we we don't handle the KYC. It's our exchange partner that handles it. So we give the choice to our users, whether you want to use a non-KYC-based on-ramping or KYC-based on-ramping. Other than that, we also have a coin swap service that we have introduced where users can swap from BCH to other coins and from other coins to BCH. Um, so that, that's just like a regular coin swap. Mm-hmm. You know, For example, if you want to go from BCH to Dash or Dash to BCH, you can do that within the wallet. Yeah, is that through SideShift? Yes, yes, we have integrated SideShift for that. Yeah, I've been using SideShift for a few years now. Um, yeah. I know uh, Andreas it's and all that. Exchange. <laughs> yeah. Now, does a one thing I always have to do with with um, SideShift is uh, <laughs> turn on a VPN because I don't like US based consumers. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> but I'm sure that's not a problem in India. No. Um, surprisingly, we have actually not uh, done some tests how it would work in the wallet itself. Uh, I, I think we would need some feedback mm-hmm. from our uh, US-based users of Zapit whether SideShift actually works within the wallet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it shouldn't, um, according to how they, they do block the IP addresses. Uh, but yeah, we don't uh, face any issues, so we can swap as much as we want. Yeah, it's so um, tell me about the payments part of things, because that was kind of the big thing. Um, I mm-hmm. unfortunately was unable to attend the Bitcoin Cash conference uh, recently, but I heard there was a very big unveiling on the payments side from from you guys' side. Do you mind getting yeah. a little bit more on that? Sure. So I think uh, we just went through uh, the UPI payments uh, a bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with respect to the adoption of UPI itself, um, there are basically 60 million offline merchants uh, that accept UPI payments. Mm-hmm. There's about 40 million online merchants, like e-commerce websites and things like that. And uh, UPI is not just for merchants. It's also between individuals. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you're an individual, I'm an individual, I can send you money using the UPI payment system as well. So there's about 200 million users that uh, are onboarded on the UPI system. So the, the, the big announcement that we made in the conference was that uh, Zapit basically integrated with the UPI system and uh, any user can now use Bitcoin Cash to make payments at all of these millions of merchant stores. So you could basically take your Zapit wallet, have Bitcoin Cash in it, walk to most of the stores around India and and pay with uh, Bitcoin Cash. And the merchant would actually receive um, it in INR, in the Indian rupee. So the merchant has no idea that you have paid with Bitcoin Cash. They just see the rupee, uh, you know, coming into their bank account immediately. They get a notification that yeah, you received the payment. 
So I think this was a pretty huge uh, <laughs> announcement that uh, we, we unveiled, which I think makes Bitcoin Cash one of the most usable currencies. It, it would make Zapit one of the most usable wallets, crypto wallets out there. And uh, we are quite excited to you know expand on on this very feature. Yeah. And so, uh, how does that? How does the user experience kind of seem like that? So, you go to a merchant. They say this is the total, and they're in your Zapit wallet, and you have Bitcoin Cash only. And then, what's the next step? Yeah. So the way UPI works is you either enter like a UPI code. It's like a single string. Or there are QR codes available everywhere. You, mm -hmm. you know, in India, you, you just walk a street and you will find the UPI QR codes everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, with respect to crypto payments, I think everyone's already aware of how to scan a QR code. So you just click on the scan, you scan the UPI QR code, um, and you enter the amount that you want to pay. And then, yeah, you just confirm the payment and it's done. It's as simple as that. Yeah, so when you hit pay in Zabit Wallet, then it sends Bitcoin Cash to... Yeah, it sends Bitcoin Cash to Zapit, basically. So we collect the Bitcoin Cash and we send out the INR from, from our end to the merchant. Yeah. And uh, so there's an like, instant swap that took, takes place there. What's the kind of... <laughs> this might be a little bit of a, a non-typical question, but because I work so heavily in like user experience kind of thing, mm -hmm. uh, what what's the, what, what's the time between hitting send... And then the mer the payment being confirmed from the merchant side usually is it like five seconds, ten seconds? Yeah. Like what is it? Um, yeah. So the merchant receives it maybe under five seconds. Mm -hmm. So usually a regular UPI app. So if you just may use like Google Pay for example, it would mm -hmm. take like three to four seconds to confirm. Like that's mm -hmm. the typical uh, amount of time it takes to you know load the transaction and then complete, and the merchant gets the notification. But here, since there is a BCS transaction also involved, it adds another second or so. So mm -hmm. you could say yeah, under five seconds. Yeah. But yeah, it's not too bad. I don't think there's a noticeable difference. People are used to, you know, just seeing the, the, the circle go around a few times and then it's confirmed. It's yeah. the same experience, basically. Within that yeah, that makes sense. And so uh, what kind of a fee is associated or a spread, I guess? in what doing the actual payment yeah so we don't have any spread uh we just add one extra output of you know like 546 satoshis of bch which is like i would say half a cent or something like that it's mm -hmm. the most minimal amount that we can charge and uh, with respect to upi payments um you know they do close to 3.5 billion transactions a month that's mm -hmm. the scale that they are operating that's a huge amount of transactions that they are able to process through, and uh, you know we are we are basically trying to get a market share of that. And mm -hmm. uh, the calculation that we made is we don't really need too too much high of a market share to actually be profitable uh, at this point. Like even if you are charging very low fee, mm -hmm. we can still make money by the sheer amount of volume that we get in terms of payments if you are able to you know capture the market. Um, in comparison, one of the biggest apps right now that has the highest share, which is about 40%, it's called uh, PhonePay. PhonePay is the biggest uh, UPI app that's used in India. They have about 40% market share and they are not at all profitable. Mm, <laughs> like they don't know, they're not able to make uh, money off of it. But 
I think we can prove, we can show the world that by using Bitcoin Cash and by charging a very, very low fee, uh, we can have a, you know, we can have a, yeah, a system where it's it's profitable and it's sustainable. Yeah. Them to do. Yeah. So I'm sure I'm starting to think about like the best possible use cases for this. So obviously average person who has some sort of UPI enabled regular app doesn't have a lot of incentive right now to switch unless they're worried yeah. about inflation or they want to use other features such as like, you know, staking income or some kind of thing like that. That's only really available in the crypto world or they're, you know, a criminal or something and they don't have access to money. Right. Or right, right, right. on the other hand, if they're, if you're talking about an, an unbanked person, then mm -hmm. already they can't pay at like UPI stuff. They have to carry cash with them probably. Yeah. Right. And then they, that's an extra risk of being robbed maybe, or just not having enough on your person and just all this other kind of stuff. And so it seems like it would be a pretty uh, straightforward kind of thing to just go to unbanked person and just say, like, not even talk too much about the crypto side of things. Just say, yeah. hey, I found a way that you can go pay at the UPI stuff. Oh, really? How? And then you just show them and then, then they're like, I want to be paid in that. I want that because that gets me there. And then just start kind of doing yeah. that. See if they have any kind of remittance partners elsewhere in the world. And then that's kind of how you bootstrap the economy. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but we have, we do have a prerequisite for that, which is uh, the other way around, which is, mm -hmm. you know, we, we are going to enable receiving through UPI as well. We are still working on mm -hmm. that. So a user would have a UPI QR code enabled within the Zapid wallet. So mm -hmm. they could go to anyone and show the Zapid wallet. And uh, another user could scan the Zapid's QR code from a UPI app and pay with rupees, mm. but the, the Zapid user would get credited in Bitcoin Cash. Uh, that's, I think that kind of solves the entire loop and uh, it would allow basically anyone to live completely off of crypto. Um, I think this would be a key feature because yes, we can go to the unbanked and tell them that, hey, no, yeah, you, you have access to the UPI payments, but there's no way they can still receive mm. uh, payments into the Zapid wallet, because how, how will they really add some Bitcoin cash to, to their wallet? But that's still not um, there. So once we solve that, I think, yes, then we, we have access to the 200 million people that do yeah. not have access to the banking sector. And yes, we can heavily market it to them. We can target them and try and onboard them into the financial um, ecosystem. And it'd be awesome if, if you know, they, they could get involved and we, we can we can show the world that, hey, you know, look what cryptocurrencies uh, are enabling. UPI already has 200 million, but there's 200 million that don't even have a bank account that we can individually serve, that they can't. None of them can because they all do the heavy KYC uh, requirements, but we don't necessarily have those. As a non-custodial wallet, we don't have the same requirements and we can onboard them. Uh, but apart from that, I think with respect to incentives, yeah, we've already thought about that. Um, in India, what happens is most of the apps are fighting for market share by basically incentivizing users to use their app. They give cashbacks, they give discounts, they give all kinds of offers. But unfortunately, their model is, again, very unsustainable. Mm -hmm. And uh, they burn through their marketing money to, to give all kinds of discounts and, and stuff. It's not sustainable. They, they can do that as long as they have funds. But after they run out of funds, they can't really do anything. 
So we came up with an idea to do something similar, but in a more sustainable fashion. Mm-hmm. So we have our own token. It's called the Zapped token. So there's a section in the app called Rewards where anyone can earn Zapped token by performing certain actions or watching ads. What what happens is uh, they in- immediately or instantly receive the Zapped token into the wallet. Now, any user can actually use the Zapped token. They can redeem the Zapped token for discounts. So let's say you have earned one dollar worth of Zapped token. Mm-hmm. You can go to any store, scan a QR code. Let's say you're making a payment of ten dollars. You can actually redeem the Zap token, and you'll only be making a payment of nine dollars from your wallet, and the rest one dollar would be redeemed using the Zap token. Uh, but but the tokenomics there itself is that the token is swapped using a decentralized exchange. So the the market kind of gives the discount within our system. Hmm. So people who want or businesses who whoever want to put up advertisements have to buy the zap token from the market mm-hmm. so there's a the buy pressure available in the market and redeeming the discount is a sell pressure so it kind of balances out there so we feel like this model that we have introduced can kind of have a uh, sustainable ongoing uh, discount system that that kind of can continue for as long as the system can exist yeah and so that's kind of the the switching incentive that then you get does not run out unlike the other ones. Yeah, we, we give up to 25% uh, discount on payments, which is huge. That is pretty <laughs> huge, yeah. Yeah, up to 25%. So people, whoever are using it, they kind of love it. But yeah, I think we, we still need to, you know, cover a huge portion of the population because in India, it's, it's, it's a bit hard, right? Like it, the advertising is kind of different. And uh, we also cannot do too heavy on the advertisement because we don't want to grow too fast. We would, we would rather like to grow gradually and, and in a more sustainable fashion rather than grow immediately because uh, we also don't want to be under the radar <laughs> as quickly yeah. as possible. Like it's better to grow slowly and then make sure all the uh, everything, whatever we're doing is is in the right way mm-hmm. rather yeah, than being clamped down by, by the government for growing too fast, which usually ends up happening all the time. So you think there's a risk if you grow too fast that the government gives you trouble? Oh yeah, I mean any crypto platform that kind of threatens the uh, you know national currency or the power of the national currency would be looked at as a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do have solutions where we can show that hey you know this kind of actually strengthens the national economy, um, as as uh, I mentioned with respect to onboard uh, onboarding or uh, getting the unbanked involved in the financial system it's it's good that more people are able to circulate the money and the the, the productivity of of the country grows higher so again but this hap- this can only happen slowly and gradually and if you're able to show even the government that this is actually a good thing then i think they would be more relaxed uh, with our approach yeah that makes sense uh, i guess the the risk might not be to be shut down completely as a company, but might be that some kind of a UPI access gets blocked or something. Oh yeah, yeah. So if, if anything, just the UPI access would get blocked. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of the non-custodialness, the funds, the user funds are always safe because it's always in the hands of the user. Uh, at most, our <laughs> funds may get blocked in, in the account, but uh, the service may get shut down. Uh, but the wallet will continue working. The services will continue working. The peer-to-peer exchange 
works in a decentralized way that that still continues we just have to find a new way to do the same things that we're doing yeah and i think yeah. we're good at it. i think we are good at uh, innovating in a way where uh, you know we can we can carry on or we can come up with something new uh, to enable the same kind of payments yeah that makes sense this has been quite the enlightening chat where could people find more about you and zap it uh, yeah, so most, we are available on uh, Twitter and Telegram at Zapit underscore IO. Um, mm-hmm. On Telegram, I am at Romit Radical. On Twitter, I'm at Radical Romit. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks very much for chatting with me today. I hope you have a good one. Sure, thank you so much. It was great chatting with you. <laughs>